everybody. Welcome back to What Happened to You. Today, I'm joined by Kayla Esmond, a stand-up comedian who I was fortunate enough to meet after a show two years ago with uh, Alex Cunningham for, uh, you know, some of you OG listeners of the podcast. Uh, Kayla was at that at that show as well and happened to tell me what happened to her that day. And we ended up reconvening last weekend at another show two years later and lucky to have her here today. So, Kayla, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It's funny because like I hadn't felt like when I saw you, I didn't feel like it had been two years since I'd seen you because the pandemic, the way that like trauma compounded, it feels (laughs) like it was 20 years and also like two months. It totally warps time completely. But yeah, it was just uh, funny to run back into each other and just had to have you on the podcast right away. So thank you so much for being here. What happened to you? Oh, man. So... I was born to a military mother. She was a captain in the army. I was born nine months after the first Gulf War ended because she was worried she was going to get deployed. And my father was, so she was an army captain. He cooked meth. They were a love story for the ages. So they got divorced right after my brother was born. So I was like less than two years old, which is like peak age for your parents to get divorced. Cause like, you're not used to it. You don't know any better. You're like, you just live your whole life like with one parent. And like the idea of having a man, a grown man in my house has always been like, what, like as a child, I'm like, what people do that. It's like people who have outside dogs finding out about inside dogs for the first <laughs> time. They're like, you let them on the couch in your home. <laughs> not sanitary totally Um, i was born in hawaii which was like such a good setup and i feel like it it was such a good start because i I was born in hawaii and then right as i was about to turn the age where i would start making memories the military moved me and my family to texas so they were like nope out of here so i have no memories of the two years i lived in hawaii gotcha so i grew up in texas my parents got divorced My mom married this really abusive guy that tapped her phone, would like stalk her to work, was super abusive to me and my little brother, like beat us, put locked us in the closet and stuff as punishment. He was a slotted metal spoon guy. That was his like form of discipline, super religious. And like, while that was going on, I was also, when I would go visit my grandparents, my father's parents, who were also super religious, my uncle was molesting me. He would take me to the house across the street that was being built and like get me to like trick me with games to like suck his dick. Um, Classic. It, like, I know it, it's a, it's a good prank. Like if you're <laughs> and good pranking. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's getting his own show on Spike TV. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. The molester next door. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, yeah. That's a great improv troupe uh name i'm sure there's an improv troupe out there this one they're like molesters next door that's the that's the ticket yeah if it's not we'll make the group there we're gonna get in so much trouble we'll be like no we got molested <laughs> yeah you guys don't we understand it's okay yeah. it's fine the last time of it it was like he sh- it, it, he brought other like people over to show them he was like "Ooh, look what i can do i'm like did it in front Whoa. of people and i told my grandparents about it and they were so religious that they were like you're a sinful whore. I'm five, by the way, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're a sinful whore. Don't tell anybody. People at church will judge us. And, like, they're the kind of shitty people that they, like, my grandmother would, like, judge people for not wearing nice enough clothes to church. Like, shitty people. Yeah. He ended up just kind of, like, disappearing. He, like, ran away from my grandparents' house. He was, like, 19 or something. And he just, like, left to go do a bunch of drugs. So that that ended. And then my mother divorced my stepfather. She kicked him out with a knife. She was like, you're done. You're out. She kicked him out with a knife, pushed our big tube TV. You remember like TVs were like 150 pounds. Yeah. She pushed that in front of our door, kicked him out. And then a year or two later, my father was kind of in and out because they were, they'd been divorced. He was kind of in and out. And then it got to the point where it was uh, for his visits, his scheduled visits, he was just like missing more and more. He was missing more than he was showing up for. And then he called for my brother's like sixth or seventh birthday to tell him happy birthday. And that was the last time we heard from him for like 10 years. Wow. Um, And he just like disappeared on a meth bender, ended up getting in a lot of trouble, ended up going to federal prison. And then he popped back up out of nowhere with no warning when I was 16 at a musical that I was doing at my high school 
called <laughs> Little Women, where I was playing a troll and I was dressed like a troll and he shows back <laughs> up and there he is. And I spent intermission sobbing because like I just couldn't emotionally like I didn't have the tools as a 16 year old to handle this kind of like processing all of this. Of uh, course. Yeah. And uh, wow. He pops in and out. We talk. Again. He might be dead now. I, <laughs> I talked to him on the phone in like November. He had a credit card that he opened up under my name. He was going to send me. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. He's actually going to do something. Ended up giving it to my ex stepmother, who's an alcoholic. And she ended up like racking up this like huge credit card bill under my name, which just wrecked my credit. And so the last time we talked was about that. And then I messaged, I messaged him, I texted him a couple of times and I texted him for Father's Day. I was like, hey, happy Father's Day. Hope you're doing all right. He doesn't do meth anymore, but he's such a, he's such an alcoholic that it's causing early onset dementia. So he's a trip to talk to. No kidding. So he he might have died from drinking at this. I haven't talked to him in like six or seven months, but I think if I hadn't had all the other stuff happen, I would be angrier at my father. But of all the people who wronged me, like he just fucked off. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I guess in, in terms of the spectrum of things that happened, it was uh, relatively low key, just a little right. bit of meth. Yeah, a little well, bit I of meth, a little bit you of know, The other option was he stuck around and was on meth and beyond. If he stuck around, I think it'd have been worse. Granted, the stories that I get from him, I always take with a grain of salt. Cause like, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, sure, you were, you were making drugs for the cartels absolutely sure yeah because um, his his stories about the the drug cooking days are always really grand but yeah according to him he was like he was getting in gunfights and stuff and getting arrested pretty regularly so it's like yeah i didn't really want anything to do with that <laughs> that's pretty fair wow so wild story um <laughs> <laughs> to go back to the beginning, when you were talking about your stepdad who was mm. abusive, that was before the molestation had started with your uncle? It was simultaneous. Ages like four to six were a real whammy. It's very unfortunate how formative those years are of like four to yeah. six. It's, I was like, oh no, you messed up my brain development. You yeah, yeah, that, totally. was, that was all happening around the same time. So do you remember the first time that the molestation happened? Yeah, there was a house across the street from my grandparents' house. They were in the process of constructing it and they just put the walls up. Like just the bare minimum of the walls. They started to put like the um, wood up. And like he took me to the second story where like nobody would find us. And he was like, we're going to play a game called Snake in the Hole, which dumb name. Come up with a better name, please. <laughs> like, yeah. It's really yeah. hard to tell a therapist when you're crying. And it's like, if anybody we play Snake in the Hole and you feel dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like whack-a-mole? It's like, no. <laughs> Snake in the hole. That's wild. Yeah, mine was called the wiggle game. Oh, like, man. Why do they always call it weird? Like, they always call it stuff that, like, they're trying to name, like, a PBS kids show or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just an attempt to uh, get on our level, I guess. It's crazy how often these things start as games. What was your thought process at the time, like, when he initially said that? Like, presumably, you had no idea what was going to happen by playing that game. Right. Yeah. Like, what was going on in your head, if you remember? I it, it it stuck in my head so so much that like there I had to have some level of understanding that something was wrong because I feel like the there had to be some level of adrenaline because all of the memories of it are so clear and so specific. But I, I wasn't necessarily afraid because I I think he made it so like oh we're gonna go do something cool. You can't tell anyone because we're doing something too cool. You know, mm -hmm. it's that like making you feel special, making you feel cool. So I think that was the adrenaline that was going on at the time that like made me remember it because I wasn't scared at the time. I wasn't scared until he brought the other people. And that yeah. was when it like, I think even as a child, I was able to figure out, okay, this is dark. What are we doing? Uh, yeah. Because no like kidding. I could tell from their reactions, there was something not good, that this was something abnormal. They didn't help or anything like it wasn't like they didn't have the appropriate amount of horror. How much time passed between when it first happened and when those people showed up? The whole thing was a to happened over the span of about eight months. Okay. So it was less than a year, which I mean, uh, in the, you know, I've talked to so many people who like their abuse went on for years, you know, like they, sure. they weren't able to escape it. And the thing that ended it for me was just that he like got hooked on something and just disappeared. 
Yeah. Thank God for meth, I guess. Right. Good for (laughs) meth and good for my my grandparents just raising consistently shitty kids because they were, you know, (laughs) they they raised my father who left. They raised this this uncle who molested me and then left. They've got a third who's my uncle. He's the best of the bunch, but he's also a raging alcoholic. And that's part of So mine my last name Esmond, the grandparents who told me not to tell the one who's like houses it happened at. It's my father's mother and stepfather. It's like a, a step grandfather. And he's the one whose last name is Esmond. I don't have like an actual blood relation to that name. But my father ended up with his last name because he legally adopted him at some point. So he ended up with his last name. And they're so religious and so vicious. It's why people will be like, well, why did you keep his name? And it's like, because I tell really dark abortion jokes on stage. And I tell like these really sacrilegious jokes. I tell a joke about Jesus getting fucked to death by a giraffe. Like, and I just love deep down that it's going to upset them so much if I ever get any form of success that their yeah. last name is associated with that kind of humor. Right. And that's the ultimate goal is I just want to piss them off. Because in, in a weird way, I, I resent them almost more than I resent like my uncle Chris, uh, who, who molested me because I told them and they were like, mm, well, they were very blamey and they were like, don't tell anyone, don't tell your mom, you know, because they were more concerned about their reputation at church. Totally. Well, first of all, what was that like? And then did you end up telling other people after that? Or did what happened? I didn't for years. Mm. I didn't for a very long time. I was like 15 before I told my mom because I had so much like shame and guilt associated with it because I you know I thought it was my fault it took a very long time it wasn't until I hit the age where you start to really be able to conceptualize how young four and five years old is because when you're four and you're five you in your head like you're the oldest you've ever been you know more than you've ever known you know Um, and that that just kind of continues as you're a child until you kind of start to hit your teen years and then you start to be able to realize just how young you've been at various points in your life and that was when I was like I, I told my mom and the reason I ended up having to tell her is because he had a it's because I was going to go to testify he should back up and I went and testified in his custody hearing because he had he ended up getting married and having a couple of kids and he'd like gotten clean and then he got back on meth and him and his wife got divorced and they were trying to figure out this custody agreement and I went and testified in his custody agreement so he's not allowed to see his little girl for better or for worse he's not able to see his little girl like without anyone around although I guess she wouldn't be little anymore she's probably 18 by now well, let's just say it was definitely for better. I, yeah, I think at that the that's time, a fair... when I was, yeah, at the time I was 14 and she was four. Mm-hmm. So it was like the exact age. And I went and like, wow, testified in their custody agreement. It's one of those things. It's like, I definitely absolutely believe that it was for the best, that it was for the better. But I also, if I were to ever see her and she had resentments about not being able to see her father because of me, I think I'm, I'm, I'm old enough, I've processed enough that I wouldn't be angry with her if she had some resentment towards me of not being able to see her father. Like, even though that would be misplaced. Yeah. Like, I can understand. I can, I can accept the nuance and complexity of those kinds of situations and the emotions that come from that, you know? That's amazing that you can do that because it's like, like you said, you know, it's it would be so reasonable for her without understanding why it was a good thing that she wasn't allowed to see her father. If if she didn't know that, it would be so totally fair for her to be upset about it. Maybe one day you guys can have a conversation and you can explain why, you know, it was actually the best thing that happened to her. Probably really interested to like meet her and her younger brother because like when they got divorced her mom like took her so far away from my father's side of the family which fair enough every single one of them is just so shitty so like I haven't seen them you know in years but I would be interested to see them again I had this is a total side note my stepfather when he divorced my mother he eventually married somebody else and years ago like five or so years ago maybe more the woman that he ended up marrying messaged me on Facebook asking if he'd ever molested me because she suspected that he was molesting their daughter. Wow. And I was like, no, but I was like, he was super abusive and I can totally believe that he's molesting her. Like, don't take the fact that I'm saying no is like the idea that he's not to her. Yeah. But I was wow. like, man, so many just hella shitty dudes just <laughs> the dfw metroplex something just mm. yeah so 
wow, Facebook Messenger just uh, looking out. It sat in my it sat in my requests for a really long time. Somebody oh, like yeah. was like, oh, have you ever checked your requests? And I was like, no, what is that? And I went and looked and I've got this long message from this woman I've never met. And I was like, oh, this is heavy. Yeah. Did she say why she was suspecting that? I don't remember what exactly she mentioned something like she was really vague. Um, but I think she mentioned something about like finding her daughter's underwear somewhere in his stuff. But anybody that he would have married would also be very religious. So it's possible that there was some of that, like the reason she kept it so vague, but also, I mean, not necessarily wanting to spill what she, her daughter's stuff to a stranger on the internet. Something about like abusive men plus religion. It's always easy for me to believe that abusive religious men like are molesting people. Definitely got enough proof at this point to make that assumption uh, from the various organizations that have been just so just caught, could not be caught harder recently uh, between, you know, the Catholic church and then like the boy scouts, obviously not religious necessarily, but Crazy, right. crazy times. Well, it's crazy. Um, and like, I went to a, a Baptist, I went to a Southern Baptist University for undergrad. And boy, they sure love to joke about like, oh, you know, those Catholics and priests molesting young boys. And I'm like, look, we're not organized, but we're molesting kids too. Let's not <laughs> pretend like the Baptists have clean hands. We just yeah. don't have like a Pope. It's just individual yeah. churches. We're not moving people among uh, like, it's happening in all of the the organized religion. And it, it feels like we're we're still just like scratching the surface in terms of like the magnitude of these issues and for how long it's been going on. It's it's insane. And any institution, because I feel like it's why you see people get sexually harassed in big production studios and like big uh big companies by their CEOs and stuff is any kind of relationship where somebody has an inherent power dynamic over another person. is going to lend to that but then you add with religion you add this idea of just inherent victim blaming built into a lot of the uh, a lot of what you're taught when you take those two things together it's just it's a great recipe for being able to protect abusive people Um, and then oh and then with the churches they've got access to all these kids and such uh, and like they're trusted by their parents all of it just just comes together to just just breed some uh some bad shit yeah it's like the people that tell you like what happened why you're alive and what happens after you're dead like the, the the profound questions that we think about the people that are telling you about those what a position of power to be in like hey if you tell anybody you're going to hell you know what i mean like it is kind of a crazy situation but so many people do it so many people are threaten people with hell is a big one it really is it was easier for me when i started to kind of like drift away from from religion in my late teen years it was easier for me to shake the idea of a loving god than it was for me to shake the idea of a hell it was easier for me to be like ah there's probably not a god that loves me than it was for me to be like there's no demons waiting for me in my shower (laughs) (laughs) right so going back again here to when you were talking about the other people that came and watched this happen this molestation Mm -hmm. did your uncle like say hey there are going to be people here today for the Mm -hmm. snake in the hole or like what how did that happen so I was visiting my grandparents and he was having people over and like they were there and they were, I was somewhere else in the house and they were having some kind of discussion that it got brought up. And like, he called me into the room to basically like prove, I think like he told them he was doing it and they didn't believe him. And like, he came in and he was like, he changed it up because I think even he felt dumb about the snake and the whole thing. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so I think he didn't want to say that in front of him so he called it he was like all right like it, you're gonna you're gonna treat it like a sucker you're gonna it's a sucker today and I was like that's different yeah. and I think that was the first thing that kind of like stuck out in all of it like the first thing that really triggered some kind of like okay this is like super different was the fact that like he wasn't calling it the usual thing just so funny to think about like I hadn't even I hadn't actually thought about that until this moment that he'd like changed the name probably because he felt dumb being like, we're going to play snake in the hole because he thought his friends were going to judge him. For how <laughs> They're going to be like, wow, that's some silly language you used. Yeah, like, you fucking nerd. What do you do? Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's so wild. 
that like that's the thing that he's embarrassed about what was their re- were you like aware of their reactions i remember you saying that they were like they kept their distance it wasn't like they were involved at all they they were involved but they weren't like horrified i think i never really got a good look at their faces during because you know your face is down when yeah <laughs> you know you're you're kind of down like they, you know they, they call it going down for a reason it, but like <laughs> I didn't get a good gauge of their reactions. I would be so interested to figure out who that was, Mm -hmm. like who they were. It's one of those things I'd never be able to get good answers about it because they, I'm sure there's like, if I were to approach somebody and be like, Hey, you know, 25 years ago, you watched me get molested and you didn't do anything about it. Like what was going through your mind? I'm really curious. Like for science, what was going through your head? Yeah. It'd be tough to get an answer. Yeah, I would be really interested to know because like nobody stopped it. Nobody said anything. Nobody got involved. Nobody was like, yeah, bro. Like nobody was like cheering them on. There was just this like <laughs> weird neutrality. And I got sent out of the room afterwards. He was like, all right, you can go. And I like, I would have, I would love to know what the conversation after I left the room was. Like, did anybody stick up for me? Were they like, oh, that's cool. Were they like, dude, that's weird. Yeah, do they just continue having dinner or whatever they were doing? Yeah, it's it's right. It's they just super... keep playing video games, like because it was it was <laughs> in the living room and like we were on the couch. They'd been watching TV or playing video games or something, and like because it was paused in the back or muted. It was the TV was muted in the background, so it was like it was just a break in whatever else they were doing. It's like <laughs> this like formative traumatizing experience that shaped the way my brain functions, like was just like, oh, hold on. I guess it's on commercial. What are we going to do while our TV show's on commercial or whatever? It was just like a break in the action for them. Yeah. <laughs> ah, it's halftime. Yeah. What are we going to do for our halftime show? <laughs> this is so funny. It's like, you're just fucking, you're very, very funny about this. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I had a very long time to process it. Yeah. Yeah, lots, you know, and, and therapy and stuff, but it's just you get uh and i'm sure i know i'm preaching the choir here but you just kind of hit this point and i hit it very very early this tipping point of like all right we're either gonna kill ourselves or we're gonna we're we're gonna learn how to how to laugh our way to the other side and like Mm -hmm. learn how to figure it out because it's like at a certain point you just accept that it's had this effect on the way like you process and process things and like the way you function and you learn how to work within the way like you just kind of are like there's a lot of stuff that you can um, you can learn how to cope and how to handle the different ways but like I have every now and then something will just give me a weird panic attack it's just like I don't know where and that's it and like you just kind of learn to accept that that stuff yeah once you kind of like go okay this is this is where we're at nothing's changing I can't go back and change the past like we're already here uh, how do we move forward? I can choose to kill myself, which did feel like a decent option. Like in my early twenties, I was like, mm, maybe. And then I was like, no, yeah. Oh, I'm too nosy. Like, I want to know what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> I don't have a huge attachment to life, but I am like, okay, but what's, what's going to happen? What's the gossip? What's, what's going to happen with the United States? Are we going to sure. it? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I guess I got to learn how to laugh about it. And yeah, there's uh, what you said about accepting what's happened. There's there's a tremendous amount of healing that happens, I think, when you're no longer living in a state of like wishing things had been different mm. and like constantly just like comparing your childhood to other people's childhoods and how yeah. amazing things could have been. It's like, you know, this stuff happened, but it's there's a, um, an opportunity to release so much of the emotions that are almost like predominantly negative around these experiences by just not wishing that they'd been different. I mean, of course, we all wish we hadn't been molested, but like not dwelling on it. You're not going to, nothing will change what's happened, but you can do so much to change the course of your life now just by being willing to accept it and, and right. let go. So I totally agree with you there. And it, and it shows, obviously, like, yeah. you know, the way that you're able to speak about this, you've, you've clearly done an immense amount of healing and it's, it's awesome. It's been um, a lot of work. And I, you know, I think one of the things that like, one of the realizations that got me was when I realized that I was happy in my life. This was like five years ago where I was like, oh, I'm happy. Like, I'm really happy. Like, I, I like my life. I like who I am. I like how things turn out. I like who I'm with and the people I'm surrounded by. This kind of strange realization of, and again, it's not like, like you said, we all wish we hadn't molested. I'm not in any way like grateful for the things that have happened for me, to me. But 
I can't change them. And if they hadn't have happened, who there's no guarantee that I would currently be happy. The only guarantee that I have that I am currently happy that I know the only life that I could have lived that I know for a fact right now I would get to be happy is the life that I've currently lived. Mm-hmm. If I'd lived a different life, I have no guarantee that I'd be happy right now. I have no guarantee who I'd be. I'd be an entirely different person. Like the person I am now would be dead. And I like who I am. So it's like, you kind of learn to live in this, in this equilibrium of like, they're a piece of shit and what they did was wrong. And I like wish it hadn't happened. But at the same time, like I am glad to be me and glad to be where I'm at. And the only way that I know a hundred percent that that, happens is the life that i've led so here we are well said kayla i totally ah, agree <laughs> that was yeah i i love that i feel similarly in many ways where it's like you know if i hadn't been molested i would have never done stand-up i'm so thankful for that trajectory of my life which would have never happened had i not been molested it's it's not to say that i'm glad that it happened but right. uh i'm glad for how things are now as a result of it, like you said. You're glad for how you've managed to process it and like how you've you're you're glad for who you are in response to it. Yeah. Um, for your ability to respond to it by not becoming a worse person, but becoming a better version of yourself. Absolutely. You've obviously, you know, you you mentioned that you'd been to therapy and uh, I wanted to ask you, like, when did you start going to therapy? When did this sort of healing process really start for you? The first time I saw a therapist, I was like eight and they gave me just like child or it was a psychiatrist and they gave me just like child antidepressants that like it was a liquid and it tasted like bubble gum, like nasty bubble gum. And it was like child antidepressants, which is the saddest thing. And then I was off those for a really long time. I didn't see a therapist again until I was like 22, I think. Uh, and I've seen a couple of therapists and they've, they've done a lot for me, you know, therapists and uh, medication. I also just like need to be on antidepressants. And that's fine. Like I have no issues. I have no qualms about having to take medications. A lot, I've had, a, I've done a lot of like work with therapists, but a lot of the healing that I've done has just kind of been on my own. I started acting when I was in middle school and that helped a lot um, because I needed an outlet. I needed to feel like people paid attention to me. I needed attention so desperately. And that had more to do with like my father leaving than anything else. Sure. So I needed that attention really bad. And I found that I was good at acting and I was really into acting. And part of the reason I was good at acting is I was very introspective and um, very kind of in my own head. And I would have conversations in my own head as if I was talking to a therapist and I would respond to myself as what I imagine a therapist would say or what I would need them to say. So I kind of had a lot of, a lot of stuff just kind of happened in this almost borderline creepy internal dialogue that I'll have. Like I'll be in the shower and I'll like be having a conversation with a, with a therapist in my head. And a lot of it's just kind of this own back and forth in my own brain of like, how do we process this? I've always being an actor for a very long time. You think a lot about the way people's brains work and like the way people's personalities work, the way people respond to external stimuli. And I've always been a good communicator. So I I can communicate very effectively just kind of in my own brain too. And a lot of that kind of got worked out in itself, just like in the shower while I was driving or tripping shrooms, tripping shrooms also helped a lot. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh dude, tripping shrooms helped so much. Like, yeah. Tell me about that. What was that experience like? The very first time I've done it a handful of times, but like the most formative one, like I just sat on my back patio staring at this tree, just overwhelmed by how small and like insignificant like everything was and because I I was having a lot of trouble with like anxiety and feelings of guilt for things that like didn't matter like I I was getting very stressed out over things that didn't matter and uh, I kind of had this this process realization of there is nothing I can do that could be bad enough for it to genuinely like on this large universal scale scale to truly matter like I could accidentally hit the nuclear button and blow up the entire planet and destroy the entire human race. And the universe would just like the, the universe as a whole would just keep trucking. It wouldn't care. Another species would be popping up on another planet, you know, in another billion years. Like there, I, cause I, I'm like, the universe is so big. There's other, there's aliens out there, whether they come here or not. I've of like, course. Of course. but like, there's definitely like other stuff out there. So it's like, I don't have, I personally don't have the ability to even blow up our entire solar system, much less the entire universe. So the the impact that I can have that is negative 
is very small on this really, really big scale. Like I am only, and I'm not even able to blow up the whole, whole world with nuclear bombs. You know, the worst I can do is hurt someone's feelings really. So like, and I, uh, this, this kind of realization of how insignificant my fuck ups could be on this large scale then that kind of went internal where it was like, all right, well, I, if I myself am just like this universe of, of electrons and brain cells and or like cells all working together, you know, I know this one part got affected, my brain got affected by this one thing, but on the larger scale, it's very, it's also, it's insignificant in regards to like who I am as a person. It's, <laughs> it's a small, tiny aspect of this building character, um, but you know, I, I have all these other things and all these other aspects to myself that exist wholly on their own outside of that. You know, it's, I don't know if that's the most like, that's not a great linear way of like telling that, that's that story. But yeah, it was just this kind wow. of like this very shroomy realization of like, basically the world's so big, it doesn't matter. You're going to be okay. Just like, keep going. The bad you can do is insignificant, but the good you can do is great. Cause like, you know, it brought me back to this, like, okay, you know, if we on this large scale don't matter, then just like focus on what you can do good for each other. Like if, if large things don't matter, then just focus on like, how can I make my fellow primate on this planet how can i make them get their brains the good chemicals that's one of the things i love about comedy is like that's all yeah. it is like, like let me give you the good chemicals this life is rough we don't matter this is we're screaming through space and it's terrifying and bad things are happening to all of us all the time let me for just like <laughs> the next 15 minutes let me give you the good chemicals the best i can wow so many things there uh <laughs> There's one thing I've learned from shrooms. It's that not, none of the takeaways are linear. In fact, it's the in, in the best way, though. It's like, here, let's think in a way that your brain has never thought before and oh, yeah. provide you with so many answers and ways of thinking that you had no idea that you could even think and feel. And like, I think that that's an amazing analogy, despite all of the things that happened this universe of your body, this universe of atoms, as you put it, is still functioning flawlessly. Like mm -hmm. it's an absolute miracle that we're able to just interact right now over Zoom in this. And we're just piloting our bodies, you know, all the time without any conscious effort or intention. Our bodies oh, yeah. are just doing all of this stuff, whether you spend your time dwelling on the past and these horrible things that have happened to us or living in the now wherever you are and, and just sort of feeling that it, it's totally up to you it's a choice that we make and when you sort of come to terms with the fact that you can make that decision it's very freeing to know mm -hmm. that like you can feel however you want about whatever you've been through and to make that decision to feel okay, it's like it, it does have a snowball effect. It's like I feel like our, our experiences are very much just sort of a product of what we're thinking. And right. if we're if, I think the average is what, 70,000 thoughts a day or something like that is what the average human has. And uh, I'm going to have to fact check myself on that. But whatever it is, <laughs> it it's, sounds it's right. so many thoughts. And if you can change whatever the predominant like type of thought is then it will continue to snowball. And if you start having more positive thoughts, whether you're reflecting on things that have happened to you or you're just happy with what's going on right now, it makes your whole life better. Shrooms can be an amazing tool and provide you with, you know, answers that you didn't even know that you needed and expose right. aspects of yourself. Like, you know, a lot of people have bad trips. I'd say the vast majority of people don't. Uh, it's just what's publicized in the media because it's yeah, a drug it's like, that it's makes a you. Fun, it's a fun thing to show in a cartoon is a bad trip. Yeah. But it's like the reality is it's just an incredibly euphoric feeling of connectedness. And it's like an insignificance that is you feel insignificant and at the same time you realize that you can perceive that insignificance however you want mm -hmm. and feeling like wow no there's nothing that i can really do that's going to like ruin everything it's a very freeing feeling especially for people you know i've, I've dealt with anxiety and depression and with anxiety in particular it's like you spiral and it's like, well, I did this wrong and here's a million other things that are hypotheticals, but I'm going to treat them as a fact. And, you know, your brain just starts running and it's like yeah. you really can't do that much wrong. And that's that's sure. a, it's, it's a free and, and feel. it's like, you know, I certainly still have I still have my anxiety spirals, you know, it's not like I'm just sitting here completely cured in my life. But it, <laughs> it it also, you know, realizing how insignificant you are also in a way gives you that permission to be like all right it's okay that i have anxiety attacks it's okay that i have some of this it's okay that sometimes i'm not okay because again me not being okay it's not gonna it's not gonna end the world it's not even gonna like bum anybody out like it's just me 
you know, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not hurting anybody by being not okay sometimes. Yeah. Accepting a negative experience is a positive experience in many ways. And, uh, you know, it's similar to accepting what's happened to us. And we have a lot more control over our experience than I think we are aware of a lot of the time. That took me a long time to realize. And like you said, you know, I still go through it, of course. Being just aware of what's happening, spending more time in like, you know, oh, there's a thought that would have in the past maybe caused me to go down an anxiety spiral or I'm going down an anxiety spiral right now. Just simply being aware of it makes it so much more manageable. When you told your grandparents and they did didn't believe you first of all what sort of gave you the courage to tell them and then what did that feel like because I know you mentioned you were feeling shame and uh, worry and what what sort of happened after they did not believe you so the fucked up thing is they did believe me and Mm. that's what makes it so bad is like they absolutely believed me and that's why they were so desperate to make sure that I didn't tell anybody it's because they they believed me and they were invested in making sure like because they are very reputation-based people reality is not reality reality for them is merely how they are perceived by other people Mm. if they are perceived as the kind of family that has a molester in the family that's who they are. But if they're perceived as not having a molester in the family, that's who they are. That's how they operate. So it was, they believed me and told me not to tell anybody. And they told me that they were like, well, you know, what did you do? And they were very sin focused. They're like, what sins did you commit? Was this God showing you like a better way? Was this God? And they were very like, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And it's like, I don't know. That's a real weird thing to tell a child is like, well, God wouldn't let you get molested if you couldn't personally handle it. (laughs) So uh, the, the reason I told them in the first place was it was after the like group thing like they came home and I was like I don't want to be babysat by Uncle Chris anymore and they were like why and I was like he made me play snake in the hole in front of his friend they're like what snake in the hole and I was like he's been making me suck on his pee and like you know and I was trying very hard to like find the words because that's the other thing that kind of stands in your way as a child is you don't have the words absolutely so, like you don't know the terms I can't be like that motherfucker made me suck his dick I don't know really like <laughs> Like it was a sucker. It was fear. I think that like led me to, it was fear of being left alone with him again. Mm-hmm. That like, that, that made me speak up. It wasn't even like necessarily a bravery thing as much as it was like, I need this not to happen again. I'm scared. And I told them and when, when they like, they asked some questions, they were like, well, do you mean this? Are you sure you're, you weren't playing? Like you're not like playing make believe or making up a story um, and I was like, no, it happened. And they were like, well, we, you need to not tell anybody. They were like, don't tell anybody. Don't tell your mom. You know, they did his work for him. Yeah. He never did the whole, like, if you tell people you're going to get in trouble, you know, it was, he was like, this is our secret game, but he didn't like go to the full extent that some groomers do. They stepped in and did that for him. They did that kind of post grooming of like, if you tell people you're going to get in trouble, If, you know, you need to, if you tell people you're contributing to the sin and you're, um, just threatening. Yeah. Just, yeah. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to go to hell. Like it, it was, I don't know if they ever brought it up with him. They were very angry with me too. When I testified against him years later in court, cause they were also trying to like him not being able to see them also kind of hindered them from being able to see their grandkids. Um, so they didn't talk to me for a very long time which is fine I had no interest in talking to them um Mm -hmm. but they were very angry with me for all of that so afterwards like I was just like okay I guess I'll just buck up and like move on you know and that kind of being treated like I'd done something wrong and then also having them on top of it act like I'd done something wrong but also there was nothing wrong and like never acknowledging it again I had uh it like it, it, it manifested in a lot of really sinister ways as a child. Like I had a lot of anxiety. Like I would, I would anxiously pick holes in my face mm-hmm. and stuff. Cause like I'm, you know, keeping all this stuff inside and I feel bad and I don't know why I feel like I'm an inherently bad person and I don't know why. And when I became a teenager and I was able to kind of process that a lot more, then I started telling people, then I like, you know, testified against him, but yeah, it was just, they just shut it down immediately. And I felt embarrassed and I felt bad and I just moved on. And 
then it just kind of compounded upon itself because the fact that I wasn't able, I didn't have the coping mechanisms to deal with what had happened to me and I wasn't able to talk to anybody about it then manifested in me being kind of weird in school, you know, and like these mm-hmm. little ways that kind of alienated me from my peers and stuff. And, uh, you know, cause I was the kid who like picked holes in their face and stuff that contributed to me being like, okay, I'm inherently bad. People don't want to be around me because I'm inherently bad. Not because I am coping the best way that I can as a seven-year-old. And that's, that's manifesting as like, you know, this, this compulsive picking or, and all this other stuff. So yeah, I just, I, I just felt bad and weird and different and yeah. isolated for a very long time. I, I still, you know, I still get that sometimes, like there's still feelings of that. And then you, you add to it, like your father leaving. That's a, that's a very basic like thing that a lot of, that a lot of people unfortunately deal with, but this kind of base level of like, Oh, I guess my parent didn't like me. That also kind of like gets in there and mixes of around. Course. It's funny, out of all the things, like, my stepfather being abusive sucked the most, because he was the most violent and all that, but I think in the long run, that probably affected my psyche the least, mm. um, which, what a bitch, am I right? And it's like, <laughs> ha, 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 fuck you, uh, did all that work, didn't, didn't really have much of an impact, like, he's one of those, he's... He, it's so funny because like he kind of falls into the background of my memories of that time as I'm like oh yeah and I had this I remember telling my therapist I was like oh yeah and I had this stepfather that would beat me with a metal slotted spoon and she was like what the fuck yeah (laughs) it's hard to process all of them and and really figure out like oh I'm like this because of this particular event it's like it all kind of blurs together and you know it like you said, it compounds. And I wonder if your grandparents had been told that your uncle had done that to other kids and maybe that was why their reaction was like that. That's so funny that like, it's never had my, had I even like considered that. And you might be absolutely right. You might be (laughs) absolutely right. That's a very good point (laughs) that I hadn't (laughs) thought of. Wow. It's interesting to think about. And especially because he was at a point where he was willing to show other people what was happening Mm -hmm. um, and that those other people didn't do anything about it. You know, that's, that's like premeditated things, presumably. I it, mm-hmm. it I guess it's possible that it just came up in dinner conversation and he was like, hey, come check this out, you know, but I think it's more likely that this is something that they've talked about before and it, it could have been more organized. I mean, who, who knows, right? But yeah, no, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought about it, but it is very likely because like the fact that he was able to find three people that at minimum aren't going to stop him from molesting a child. It's like, what weird friends uh how did you make these weird bizarre friends because like genuinely i could not get like there i wouldn't be able to get together three friends to be like hey come watch me (laughs) molest this kid like my friends would beat every single one of my friends i feel like would beat the shit out of me you know yeah Uh, Yeah. like where do you find these people but that's a very good point as far as i know he was never able to molest his daughter i think i got in there probably before like right as she was hitting that age that i think would have been his like target Bless the heart of the poor, the poor custody family court lawyer that his ex-wife had hired for this custody battle. He was so out of his element when he called me and he was like, hey, I heard that like you've got some some negative stuff about Chris's character that you'd like to mention. I was like, oh, yeah, he molested me. He was like, oh, and like he's like, let me call you back. And he called me back one time. And this is art. It was it, it, I had to not laugh when he when he said this. He was like, so. I hate to ask you this, but like, did he uh, finish in your mouth? My understanding is that it's salty. <laughs> Do you remember a salty taste? <laughs> and I could tell what? how comfortable he was and how out of his element he was. <laughs> Why was, was that like, a necessary clarification? Was- Why? <laughs> Why is this guy's first day on the job? This is an, it's an insane question to ask a 14-year-old. Oh, man. It is in your mouth. I don't think that particularly matters. It's right? the main, it's, man, it's all the stuff. Get, but when he was like, I, my understanding is that it's salty. <laughs> it was so <laughs> funny to me. So <laughs> I, I'm curious. What was the experience testifying like? And also, was there any sort of like legal ramifications other than just like the custody of his kids? Like, did anything have to happen as this was your first time, like legally reporting it? The like testifying was fairly simple because he didn't show up like in his custody agreement. And that's how much he cared is like he didn't even show up. 
Yeah. Um, so it was pretty simple. I was able to just like tell a judge, tell the lawyers, go through it. I had a friend go with me, but it was it was just me and my friend that that, that went. And no, he never faced any legal repercussions, nothing. It's something every now and then I'll be like, should I go back? And like, but you know, it's, it's such a, I'm preaching the choir here, but it's such a, they, they put you through the ringer and then generally don't do anything about it, you know? Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's tough. Cause it's like, of course you would want to go do something about it, but it's so rare to actually get a conviction in criminal cases. <laughs> Although in this particular case, you do have some witnesses that were uh, available. You could probably somewhere call back somewhere out there. There's witnesses. Yeah. 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 That would be a way to have a conversation with them. It's, it's, it's discouraging, but you could always do a civil trial and then just try to get some money. Regardless, I feel like there's a lot of regrets that that survivors have about not having done things like that. But like the reality is, it's like you you did the best you could better than you could have most kids could ever do in those situations just by speaking up. And the fact that you were still able to speak up after the experience that you had with your grandparents. I mean, it's really inspiring. And like, it's, well, it's, thank you. it's of course, I mean, it's just That's awesome to, to hear about. And, well, um, you know, it's one of those things that's really easy when you think it's just you, it's like, okay, it's kind of easy to accept bad things happening to yourself. But then when you're like, okay, if I don't say something, I'm putting a child at risk when you're now like, you know, I'm 14 is an adult, but isn't an adult by any means. But like when you're now older and you're like, okay, there's this four year old that might be at risk. That's when it's really, it's galvanizing. of like you, you find some strength you didn't have before. Cause it's easy yeah. to kind of roll over for yourself, but for other people, and I, you know, on his part, it's uh, it doesn't like haunt me this, like, Oh, he never went to prison type thing because he's ruined his own life. He hasn't lived a good life. He hasn't gotten to go off and live a good life. He's been in and out of prison for drug charges, for armed robbery. He checked in on Facebook one time and he had a warrant out. Oh, here, I should have mentioned this earlier because this is one of my favorite stories. Uh, He had a warrant out for him because I just got curious one time and I looked him up and he had a warrant out and he'd also like just checked in on Facebook somewhere. So I called the local police department. I was like, hey, Chris Esmond, who has a warrant out is over at like this movie theater. I don't know if, gonna do, if you want to do anything about that, but I just thought I'd let you know. And like Epic. they went and picked him up for like, I think it was like an armed robbery or something charged. So it's like, you know, I got my little bit of revenge there. Like he did some prison time, just not directly for that. But um, don't check in if you're, if you, if you have warrants, don't check in. Um, yeah. What a hilarious way to get caught. Yeah. That's epic. Right? It's so stupid. Very like, are you a 13 year old girl? <laughs> yeah, that's um, so silly. Wow. But yeah. So like he, he just hasn't lived a good life and he's unhappy and I'm happy. And at a certain point, it's like, I don't know what him going to prison for what he specifically did to me. I don't know if that would make a difference for my life. You know, I don't know that it would necessarily make me feel it's not going to fix the problems that my brain has. And it's not going to necessarily make me feel any better. I don't think it's going to make me any happier. And I don't think it's necessarily going to make him any more miserable because the life he's leading isn't good. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of freedom in deciding that you don't need another person to feel bad for you to feel good. Mm-hmm. You don't need them to suffer for you to feel happy. I think that needing that is sort of creating a desire that's like rooted in negativity within yourself. Mm-hmm. And like all that's doing is harming your current experience. And mm-hmm. again, it just comes back to letting go and just not being dependent on anyone else for your own well-being. I kind of imagine the same thing that if the guy who molested me had gone to jail, I don't think I would have really felt any different. I just didn't want it to happen anymore and not to have anybody else have it happen to them. So I feel like we both did the best we could given the circumstances. Yeah. uh, Well, and I mean, you're, you're thrust into this position that adults can't handle well, like adults don't handle being sexually assaulted. Well, nobody handles being sexually assaulted. Well, it's just it's a universally like and people who've never been sexually assaulted people who've never been molested love to do the armchair thing of like well i would have done this i would have done that i would have done that and it's like no nobody it's not a a a situation that anybody is set up to handle well and then you, you you combine it with the fact that you're a child it's like whatever way you did deal with it you survived it and that's all you can expect of your childhood self like yeah 
that's the best that's the best any of us could have done is just make it through <laughs> absolutely releasing any sort of guilt that you have is is such a big step i think in the healing process because mm-hmm. we blame ourselves for so many things that happened during that time and like it doesn't accomplish anything and it's just so unrealistic to expect you to have behaved how you would behave now knowing all the things that you know but right. it's just a, a habitual thing and um there's really yeah. nothing to be gained from it it's hard not to but uh it's- it is like i had a lot of resentment towards my childhood self that i that i'm still working through with like my therapist is like something we work on is that yeah I, I carried a lot of resentment towards my childhood self because i'm like why didn't you handle it better and it's like well i was I was five. That's an unfair expectation to have for anybody, including myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're yeah, like, people... you like have probably 200 words maybe that you've got right. like in your head <laughs> so far. It's right. Yeah. How could you ever? Well, and, I, yeah. and people like, I also, I feel a little bit for my mom too, in this scenario. Cause like uh, people, other, I feel like people also do the thing where they're like, Oh, well, if my, and I hate this, this is one of my biggest pet peeves that I tell people not to, Oh, if my kid got molested, I'd kill him. Yeah. And it's like, one, no, you fucking wouldn't because you shouldn't. Like, yeah. you, my mom going to prison for killing him would not have made my life any better. That's not going to help anybody. Like, it made I it so happy. much worse. So yeah, much, absolutely. So much worse. But also, I don't think people realize it's this like thing that I think parents tell themselves. They're like, oh, it, it's the way of telling themselves it can't happen to my kid because I would kill him. And so it can't happen to my kid. And it's a way of like protecting themselves of the reality that it could happen to their kid. Like, it could happen to anybody. And then it also, I don't think they realize that it makes it when they say things like, oh, if my kid got molested, I would kill that person. It makes their child less likely to say if they were molested, because this fear that they are going to be responsible for someone getting murdered is very point. real for them. I had not thought about that in, in the way that you described it there, but it's it's absolutely true. The additional uh, burden that you put on your kid by saying that you'd kill somebody that would that would do something like that to them especially if it's somebody that they might actually like you know it's like a family member or for in my case my best friend's dad i don't want my right. best friend's dad to die it's counterproductive and also just like just is rooted in a general like lack of understanding about how these things work and what you should do about them what is your relationship with your mom like now it's good. Um, we get along a lot better when I don't live, when we don't live together. Uh, <laughs> but, I think that goes for most kids and parents, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. I'm turning 30 in November and I was doing road work recently and I stayed with her for a little bit and she's still like, she'll wander in at 1030 and be like, are you still watching TV? And it's like, yeah, get the fuck out of my room. Like, it's, <laughs> yes, I am. Um, but no, she's good. She, she's a, she's a nurse practitioner. She just made it through the, or she's still making it through the COVID pandemic in Texas. So she's, she's been getting through that. Um, they're good. Like, you know, we talk, I've been encouraging her to go to therapy because she's got her own childhood traumas that like, I'm like, you deserve to go and heal too. Like you deserve healing. And she was certainly like flawed at when I was growing up. I think a lot of people from our generation, I think we were probably the last generation where just like, outright being abusive towards your kids was just considered discipline yeah and she was you know she was a, she was a spanker and all of that which we now know is not good she was she was not perfect but she was the best she could have been like she was also doing her best because she was like 24 when she had me which when you're a kid that feels old when now that i'm 29 i'm like oh my god that's so young um yeah. we have a good relationship we've become a lot like a lot closer over the years that's great you're at this amazing spot where you're able to joke about these things and talk about them in a way that is so palpable, like the healing that you've done and it makes it so easy to listen to. And um, I just wanted to ask you, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's been through something similar and is hoping to get to the spot that you're at now? My best advice is one, go to therapy. It, it, there's there's really no replacement for the the kind of, of of healing and thinking through that you can do when you're talking. Like right now, just talking through things with another person, like I'm like, oh yeah, maybe he did molest like other people and they were hiding it. Like that absolutely seems like something they would do, but it's just my brain just hadn't conjured it. See a therapist, 
tell somebody you trust like the first sometimes it's hard to approach a therapist but just like the person you trust most in the world you don't have to recount piece for piece what happened you can just be like I was molested and like here's how it affects me now like you can focus on how it affects you now I think the most important thing for anyone who's been molested is forgive yourself for what you had to do to survive for how you had to cope because we were all so ill-equipped to deal with what we were handed. And I think, I don't know anybody who got molested that didn't have some strange coping mechanism at some point. And not like, you know, not, not like anything horrific. It's just like, like I said, like the picking at my face and like being kind of weird and antisocial and feeling isolated and different, all of that being kind of awkward in middle school, which I mean, everybody's awkward in middle school, but like, you know, I had my own very special brand. Yeah. Um, but just like you have to fig- forgive yourself for the coping mechanisms, because even if they weren't the most ideal coping mechanisms, they were the coping mechanisms that let you survive. They were the coping mechanisms that got you to the other side of it. I had a friend recently. She told me uh, that she was raped at 16 years old and she she just like come to terms with it. Um, and she's she's married. She's in her mid 20s. And she was telling me how she was like, I feel like I should have fought back like She's like, I regret that. I. She's like, I feel responsible because I didn't fight back. I could have done more. You know, I told him no and I struggled and then I just kind of gave up. And I was like, well, like you have no idea if you had struggled, if he'd have killed you. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that was a really big moment for her. And I think that's something for a lot of us to remember is we're like, well, I could have done more. I could have done more. But none of us know if we'd done more, if that would have been the thing that got us killed. The only thing that you know for a fact at this point standing in time is that you survived. And exactly what you did, you don't know if there was any other variation that would have let you survive. You know, if you'd veered one way or the other, you can't have these regrets because if you veered one way or the other, they might have killed you or you might have killed yourself. You did the exact thing that got you to the other side. And that's all you can expect of yourself. (laughs) So good. When we replay these things in our heads, and think about all the things that we should have done differently, we always assume that the result would have been this amazing outcome that would have stopped everything as if you had struggled, if if you had struggled more, he would have stopped, you know, and it's so unlikely. And ultimately there's unlimited hypothetical scenarios that we can play out in our heads, but it doesn't do anything. And I think the quicker we can let go of these hypotheticals and, and regrets, the quicker we can start healing. I think that that's just fantastic advice and really helpful for anyone who's blaming themselves for not having done things differently. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to, to do this, Kayla. This is such a fun yeah. podcast and I just, you're so eloquent and like, it's just, you're fucking awesome. It was Thank really, you. no, I really, had a really, it's, it's crazy to that. Like we just had like an hour and a, what a 15 minute conversation about you know, our, our molestations as children. And it was a fun time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a twisted place it takes you. It's like, we just had a lovely conversation about sexual assault. Exactly. We had a lovely conversation about healing. That's what it was really about. And that's another way to phrase it. And it really just comes down to like talking about these things openly. And like, you know, when you're talking to somebody who kind of knows what you mean it's a lot easier to let go of the shame that you feel and to to empathize and I think everything that you said about going to therapy and the importance of it I totally agree and if you feel like you can't go to therapy like I I think that the most important thing is just talking about it with somebody that you're comfortable with yeah and um, however you can find a way to do that just keep doing it and it gets easier every time and I to this day you know just as you were saying like I'll have conversations like this and things will pop back into my head that I didn't had completely forgotten about. And it makes you think even more. And the more thinking that you do about it, the less it, it, it burdens you. And um, that is, it's, it's nice to know that and to know yeah. that it does get easier and you don't have to be afraid and defined by these things forever. Yeah. So, and then you yeah. hit the point one day where like, you know, and maybe you don't ever hit this point and that's okay. But like, sometimes, you know, you hit this point where we're at, where you can kind of laugh and you, you, you laugh about it. And uh, I heard this, uh, Stephen Colbert was being interviewed on NPR and he said, uh, and this was about the Trump administration, but I find it's very, it, it's, it's very um, accurate in an overarching way. But he said, when you're afraid, you can't think, but when you're laughing, you can't be afraid. And then you can think. And I thought that was very poignant. Mm. I felt that was, I've, I've seen that play out a lot in my life where it's like, you know, when you're afraid, you can't think, but then 
then you find something to laugh about. And then you can kind of process because you're able to think like your brain isn't clouded by that fear. It's not trying to, it's not trying to figure out your fight or your flight. It's, it can, it can breathe for a second and think and process. It's so true. It's, it's a great quote. I saw that quote somewhere from Stephen Colbert and it's similar to this other quote from Wayne Dyer, which is it's impossible to laugh and be afraid at the same time. Hmm. Um, I didn't know who that came from, but I've heard that. That's a good one. Yeah. They're very similar and it's, it's the same idea and laughter really does serve as like an amazing foundation for these conversations. And when you're laughing about it, it's like all of a sudden it's, it's disarming and diffusing of the, of the, uh, the horrific aspects of what happened to us, you know, And, and all of a sudden you're able to talk about these things without feeling like you're going through it again. And um, it's a very freeing feeling. So um, what is your Instagram anywhere that people can find you? Yeah. Um, if you search Kayla Esmond on Instagram, you'll find me. It's, uh, my Instagram is Kayla underscore, underscore cats, underscore and underscore comedy. It's way too long. Um, <laughs> Kayla cats and comedy is adorable, but like having to, to spell it all out is too long. Uh, yeah. on Twitter, I'm at Kayla Wa, K-A-Y-L-A-W-A-A. I don't know why they don't match. They should. Um, <laughs> But you can, if you go to www.kaylaesmond.com, um, you can find all my upcoming shows. I tour regularly through uh, the South and I'm, I'm branching out to other places to tour as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this. This was awesome. And I, uh, I, I can't wait to do some shows with you uh, in the near future here. Absolutely. We'll have to do a molestation show, get a, uh, a group together. Thank you so much for having me. It was a really lovely conversation. 